Hello out there, sports fans. Welcome to our podcast today, The Brand and the Source. This is Eric Johnson, The Brand. And Coach Aaron Thigpen, The Source. Aaron, we've got a great guest today. This guy's, this guy's resume, man, I could go forever on this one. Um, this, this gentleman, I should say, I've known him for over 20-something years. It's Adam Farb. And I'm, I'm going to read some of these these credentials. And Adam, I tell you, fill in the, the, the missing pieces I have. And Aaron, if you got anything, throw it in there too. He is, I call him the travel ball guru, organizer, uh, NCTV, uh, NorCal Travel Ball, the owner of, of that. Started travel ball when travel ball didn't really exist. Um, he's been a division one coach. He's been a junior college coach. He was a Team USA task force member, part of the kind of contingency that picks our best players in our country. He's the original, the OG of USA Baseball National Team Identification Series. He started that here in Northern California on the West Coast, get that thing started off. Um, he also has the Alpha and Prime Elite uh, travel ball teams that play all over the country. I think they won three national titles. He's a founder and coach of that. Um, also college prospect camps for all those division one athletes that are looking to get in front of college coaches that can make decisions. And um, I always like to say he's the artist of getting the top quality high school players together in an environment where they can teach, learn and grow and develop as people and as players. So people, this is Adam Farb. Welcome, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on with with you and Aaron. I've I've known both of you now for 20 years. I first met Aaron. Um, shoot, we we started the first club in the North Bay, kind of halfway accidentally, the North Bay Extreme back in 2000. And Aaron would come out and work with our athletes uh, way back then. And it's awesome to see that that Aaron that you're still at it too. Um, and EJ, I think I coached against you in your first tournament as EJ yeah, Sports. Right. Um, I remember yeah. that day. <laughs> that um, was a lot of fun. So man. We, we go back a ways. It's good to be on. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Adam. And uh, thanks for your time today, man. We, Aaron and I have been, been uh, talking about this now for over a year. We have uh, many people that we bring on to our podcast. So sure. great to have you. And thanks for coming out today. Hey, Aaron, uh, I want to kind of start this thing off a little bit. If you don't have anything, Aaron, you got anything for me? No, I'm ready to get right into it. You know, other than I guess, you know, I always like to give these podcast titles and and this is probably going to be the first in what I'm going to call our NorCal Heavy Hitters series. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. it's basically, you know, we're going to talk to some of the I don't know if you want to call it godfathers of, of baseball. Uh, travel baseball in the in Northern California. I mean, guys who have been influential like Adam and and have really done a lot for the sport, uh, you know, 20 plus years. So we're going to have, it's great to have people like him on. We're going to try and get, you know, other guys on, Rob Bruno, you know, other people who have been influential in, uh, in what what's happened in today's, you know, youth sports. So, uh, you know, without further ado, and it gave you a chance. I mean, guy, the guy has so many credentials. <laughs> it was a good thing that uh, Adam talked a little bit. You got a chance to catch your breath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's just funny. Like, 
you you get those credentials when you get old right yeah, like, exactly. like I Aaron I mean you you met me back in in 2000 like I was a nobody from nowhere right and and you know it, it's to some extent like we're all really lucky uh, I've gotten to be around some great players and gotten to have some great mentors and uh, you know it's it's cool to see those guys go on and you know play in the big leagues and and all that and listen they didn't do it because of me or because of any one guy they they did it because of their good because they're good um but but it's really cool to see their whole journeys and to have been a small part of that and um you know 10 years as a high school coach a couple years as a junior college coach and very briefly at the division one level um the travel ball stuff like I've, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things through this sport and i'm really grateful for the life i've had Let's start you off with the softball question. Um, who have been some of the, I guess, most memorable or most accomplished uh, athletes to go through your program? Uh, I mean, accomplished in terms of big league stuff or yeah, like what yeah. they were as Maybe kids. some of your major league, big league. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, Spencer Torkelson played for me in the NTIS and then played in the league, uh, went first overall out of Arizona State and has been up in the big leagues as a rookie this year. Uh, Andrew Vaughn went, uh, I think, second overall out of, out of Cal. Uh, Andrew started playing with us in the NTIS stuff when he was 12, maybe, um, you know, and, and got to coach him a bunch. He actually uh, worked with us on the NTIS stuff when he was in high school and mentored some of the young guys. Uh, Dalton Jeffries and Paul Blackburn, who are up with the A's. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick Madrigal, I coached briefly. Um, EJ and I coached uh, the very first NTIS team uh, Mark Mathias and Zach Green, both big leaguers, were were on that team, and uh, neither of them were among the better players on that team at 14 years old, which is super interesting. But uh, but it's the truth. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've been lucky. I've gotten to interact. Uh, obviously, Joe Ryan, who played for me in high school at Drake, is is up pitching with the Twins uh, in his second year in the big leagues. Um, there's a bunch more I I, yeah. I haven't named. I think it's like 20, 22, 23 big yeah. leaguers that I've gotten to coach. And some of them were in really short stints where, you know, it was an all-star event. Like, yeah. it's not that I did anything special. Um, and some of them, you know, I, I got to be a pretty big part of their journey and uh, pretty cool stuff. But you know how to recognize excellence. You've seen excellence in action. And, and that's what I mean. That's what, I, you know, you have the eye. <laughs> he definitely has an eye. I tell you, this guy is very good at, at seeking talent. And, you know, I think what he's really good at, Aaron, and, you know, out there, people, if you listen, he's really good at communicating with the players. You know, that's a, that's a lost art, I feel, these in this day and age. And that leads me into our first question today a little bit. And areas we want to talk about is the state of travel ball. Because we talk about this communication with players and parents and all that stuff. And, uh, Adam, you've seen a lot, man, since 2000. What's the state of travel ball these days of, you know, you being a, being the, the founder of NCTB, but you just being out there around the country looking sure. at um, everything. Talk, talk a little bit, you know, about. Well, I think, first of all, like there it's different in California than it is in parts of the rest of the country. Like we, we had a significant effect from COVID um, from baseball being illegal in California for 16 months. Um, I, I think as a general rule, uh, a lot of elite players trained and found ways to keep playing, but many average players didn't. And I don't mean that they have average talent. I just mean that was where they were at in that phase of their development. And I think there's a carryover from that. I think you saw it in diminished quality of high school baseball last year. Um, and I think it's it's still taking some time for that to filter out on the travel ball circuit. Number of teams was way down. 
um, from where it was pre-COVID. Um, it started to come back, uh, but the truth is we don't know. Um, so I think the first thing is just like, just getting, we're only a year, a year-ish removed from COVID restrictions being away. And I think that lost almost two years of seasons for some guys has a pretty significant impact in terms of quality of play. Now, again, elite players kept going, right? The guys right. who that was their thing. Um, but even so, they lost some play time and they lost some at-bats and they lost some reps and um, they, they honed their individual skills. But um, there's there's some carryover effect from that that we're going to see for years and years. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, being out there and people ask me this question all the time and Aaron and I discuss this in the shop all the time at, at Game Speed is, uh, you know, guys either were training and, and trying to get better and those are the guys who stay in that, you know, stayed into the mission or the guys is completely dropped off and, and, and lost two years at minimum, you know, and uh, I, I see it in the quality of play. It's something you mentioned earlier about high school play. What was the biggest thing you noticed in high school play, the drop-off? Where do you see the drop-off the most? You just Is it in all the all the facets, or do you see any particular area? You, you're obviously a pitching, a great pitching. Yeah, I, I, thought the pit, I thought most of the pitchers were fine. Like, obviously, pitching, you can ramp back up right. uh, a little bit quicker. Uh, I thought the hitting was below where, where I'd remembered, and I just think the overall quality of defensive play was a little bit less than I remembered. Now, some of that might be being old and grumpy, um, but but just, you know, walking around and watching high school games last year, there were certainly many wonderful players and there's still some good play. But I think the overall quality was down a little bit from what it was in 2019 and before. Um, and, and I hope that that continues to catch up as guys start playing more and more. Because um, I don't think it has anything to do with talent level. I think I think this is the most physical, uh, physically talented, hardest throwing, fastest running group of players that there's ever been so you talk about the state of travel ball like you know travel ball and travel baseball has plenty of flaws but it's produced a pretty impressive generation of baseball players that are incredibly talented on the individual side um guys are throwing harder at every level of the game than they ever have um i think other than some exceptional the the consistency of speed is higher than it's ever been at any level of the game the consistency of guys who can generate hard contact um is higher at every level of the game now whether they're actually hitting the baseball squarely or not is a different question but um the physical capabilities and the the upgrades and training over the last 10 15 years are are phenomenal um now I think it falls on all of us that are a part of it to tr- help that translate onto the field for those guys as, as they catch up in their reps for the, for the California kids. Yeah. And I, that kind of, that kind of leads to a question. The thing you mentioned earlier about um, the athlete today versus the athlete, maybe 10 to 20 years ago. And you saying you're seeing a bigger, faster, stronger athlete, um, you know, competing these days is, is I, and I, and I see that, um, you know, and I go back to my coaching years now, Adam and, and Aaron and all of us, really, because we're all old school. That's why I call us. That's what Aaron calls us, all old school. <laughs> but um, when I think back about it, I see, you know, are the athletes, you know, 20 years ago, were, 10 years ago, were the athletes compared to where they are today? You know, are they are they more um, into it today or the athletes more <laughs> into it before? 
what do you think the difference is there in the athlete? This is kind of I, fun. It's interesting. I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what you have to say. But to me, mm-hmm. the players are the same, right? Players want to be good. Players yeah. want to belong. Players are insecure and immature in similar ways that they always were. And EJ, I can go back to the the first NTIS team that we took. Uh, we went to our training camp and we're like, man, these kids, they were 14, 15 at the time. Like they're so phenomenally talented individually, but many of them just don't know how to play, right? And, you know, at the time the Junction Boys movie had come out and I remember going to you like, EJ, like, do we need to take these guys down to some cornfield in the French Central Valley and just kick their butt for for a week and you go that's exactly what we need to do <laughs> we ended up we ended up doing our Yountville training camp and and that led to some really cool things over time but I, look for for me like the things that were ultimately true like uh you know I, I've always kind of used as an underpinning like Maslow's hierarchy of needs um not to get too intellectual on it but like psychological needs or physiological needs right like food water shelter you know obviously that's the big stuff people need that safety personal security, health, uh, then you get to love and belonging, right? Um, then you get, you know, self-esteem. Um, and then lastly is that is realizing all of your talents. I don't think that's changed at all. What I do think is true though, is there's more noise coming at players than ever before from social media, from showcase orgs, uh, from the community. There's more information than you've ever been able to get. And that is phenomenal. Um, but it's hard to distinguish between good information and bad information, right? So 20 years ago, like it was difficult to get information. When, I, when I'm really learning how to coach and learn how to hold, hone my skills as a coach, I've got to go get buy a DVD set from a college coach or go to ABCA and hear all the clinics or, you know, maybe then meet that guy and pick up the phone or talk to you. And, and now like, shoot, I could go on Twitter and I could learn in 15 minutes what it took me two years to learn then but how do i find that in the sea of noise that's coming and I, I think it's the same thing for players there is a tremendous amount of great information about how to train what to eat uh, um you know what drills and skills really work but how do you distinguish that from all the rest of it how do you how do you filter out the noise so the the challenges are different but to me kids are kids um and I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen a massive change in, in 20 years. Now, on the field, the game is faster. Uh, players are arriving earlier, which has its bad parts from my perspective. But again, I'm old and grumpy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just the world they live in, right? Like, we have to find different ways to connect than we Well, hey, Aaron, uh, there. The messaging so. is the same. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the messaging's the same, right? Uh oh. Yeah, you're on me. On us for for a second there. You're good. Sorry, now. guys. Back now. Um, I was just saying. I mean, maybe we have to find different ways to connect than we did ten or fifteen years ago. But I think our content is the same, and I think the needs of the players are the same. That's that's my gut level take, anyway. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, well, you touched on something that's always a bugaboo for me that we have a lot of conversations about. And you touched on the social media aspect. And, and, and you touched on it from the, you know, from my side, from the training side, the information side. But also, what do you feel its effects have been just from the, lack of a better term, the recruitment or promotional side? Okay. Uh, 
because I think that a big has a big influence on on sure. athletes how they perceive themselves as athletes, sure. how they want to present themselves, and ultimately that's got to affect how they try and play the game of baseball. Yeah, I, I think it does. I I think look, nobody nobody puts their strikeout on social media. Yeah, right? like right. like the 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 pitcher, you know, and and whether you're running a club or you're an individual or your parent posting it, like it's all highlight driven. So I mean, I. I remember uh, EJ, God, this has to be 14 years ago, like you gave a talk to our NTIS guys and you talked about the sports center guy versus the epicenter guy, right? right? The, the guy that's all about the highlight versus the guy that's all about being that player. Um, and I think when all you see is the highlight, you think that that's what you're supposed to be, right? And so, yeah, I, I agree, Aaron. It, it can definitely uh, mess with a player's self-esteem and mess with their perception. And I think it's on us and, and the circle that's around that guy to help keep them grounded and help help them understand that, like, um, and shoot, I, I coached a kid this summer, uh, 2024, um, you know, Power 5 commit, probably going to be a pro guy, like, phenomenally talented kid. Um, and he idolized some kids that, that we've coached, EJ and I, um, you know, who are in the big leagues or on their way and and I, and I had to sit there and go like, hey man, like I coached them at your age. Like you do some stuff that they couldn't do, right? And and they're great kids and I love them, but like they weren't flawless. Like I've watched them all stink at times. Now we can all probably admit that Nick Madrigal stinking is better than most people stinking. But, <laughs> um, you know, but like I watched Nick make three errors in a baseball game at 15 years old. Right. I think he's okay. He made two errors in a big league season last year. Yeah. You know, like, right? Like, like, and so they're they're Aaron. I'm sure it's something you deal with. Like, they think that failure is fatal, and yeah. failure yeah. isn't fatal. Failure is is maybe the catalyst you need to be great. Exactly, and and um, because they're, I'm sorry to cut you off, but and and because they're right. scared to fail, they yeah. don't stretch the boundaries of their potential. Correct. And so I, I, they're very, they play it safe or the robotic or, you know, all these things that don't allow them to continue to grow as athletes. And let's be honest, like I'm sympathetic to them. Like, thank God they didn't have phones and social media when I was a kid, right? Like they, you know, like I made plenty of mistakes. I'm sure most other people did too. And they weren't public and, and thank goodness for that. Um, these guys, you know, every, if they give up a bomb, like it's going to be on TikTok. Right. And and being made fun of and that, you know, so do you play afraid because of that? Well, I hope not. But I, I think that affects guys in ways that maybe players 20 years ago didn't have to deal with. Right. right, right. Um, and and we've got to try to break through that noise and try to help them filter the noise to get to where they want to go. Yeah. And and listen, every player is going to have different goals. Some guys genuinely want to be big leaguers and are willing to put in that work. Some guys want to be good high school baseball players. And have a great experience playing and you know it's something i learned coaching at drake high school um look it's awesome that i have a kid that's in the big leagues that i coached but the majority of kids that i coached aren't they went on to you know start businesses and have jobs and and start families and they can still have a great high school baseball experience and it was still important for them to train hard and be great teammates and all of that and and some of the some of those are more rewarding than the guys who've accomplished a lot because let's be honest, some of those guys were just really good and they were going to be fine with or without us. Like, That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes the kid that, that you can help be a 300 hitter in high school instead of be a bench guy, 
got more out of our training or our coaching than the guy who was always going to be a big leaguer because he threw 100 miles an hour. Right. There's no question. Um, so, um, but it, I mean, to go back, Aaron, to like the recruiting side of it, um, you know, the media part of recruiting was obviously super hot and heavy during COVID, right? When college coaches couldn't be out. Um, it slowed a little bit, but let's be real. Every college coach is all over Twitter. Um, and they're watching videos and they're aware of it, but now they get to go out and watch it for themselves and see it for their own eyes. Um, so I, I think the social media stuff more affects a player's mentality than it does. Like you can't promote a guy onto Stanford's roster, right? right? Like and that, it just you, work just that said, way. you got to the point of what I'm talking about, right? You got to the point of what I'm talking about. You, that can't be the vehicle. You can't expect that to be the vehicle that's going right. to get you the scholarship. And, and that's what I want these these parents and athletes to understand. You succinctly put it exactly the way I want. You. I, I think like the the one thing that's that I've used this line a lot in the last year and a half. Like people will you know in the recruiting process, parents especially, you know, what should we be focusing on? Which school? What this? You know, I'm like we should be focusing on being really good at baseball, right? And and whatever that means. And and you should focus on understanding the process a little bit that. You know, with the transfer portal now, there are certain positions that are going to get squeezed. Um, you know, if you're a right-hand hitting corner infielder or corner outfielder, there's a glut. Like, you're one of 10,000 guys that are pretty good. Right. If you're an elite shortstop, if you're an elite catcher, if you're an elite left-handed pitcher, you're going to be fine. Right? <laughs> like, that, you, they're looking for you. They're going early on that. It's still early recruiting. It's still madness. Um, then there's a lull in the middle. And then there's a sprint late. Um, right. So I think understanding the lay of the land is really valuable for people. But at the end of the day, if you're the best guy, you're going to play and you're going to have opportunities. Um, and and I, I think, uh, you know, with the transfer portal, it's made everything a little more transactional. But I also think that was happening long before the transfer portal and long before COVID. I, I think every year we've moved closer to football and basketball style recruiting. Um and, and that's just hit hyperdrive, you know, with the transfer portal and, and the last couple of years and, and how crowded rosters are. Can you explain that a little bit to the people out there, parents out there about, you know, we've moved closer to that basketball and football model of recruiting. Can you explain that a little bit to them out there? Sure. Really nice. from, my pers- from my perspective and other people may be able to put this better. Um, you know, you'll see football guys that are committed, that are still taking visits, where recruiting goes down to the wire of national letters of intent being signed. And in baseball, going back 10 years ago, when a guy committed somewhere, like the school was pretty committed to him and he was pretty committed to the school. Like it was considered a black mark against the school if they dropped a guy and it was considered a black mark against a player if they decommitted from the school. Well, that ain't true anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And, and it's not all to the good. It's just the reality of it. Right. Like the pressure to win on the coaches is such that at the big and the money at the big time schools for them is such that they are going to do whatever they need to do to win. If Mike Trout shows up his senior year and wants to come to that school, they're going to drop you and take Mike Trout. And, and once they do that, and free agency kind of happens, now there's more players that are committing somewhere super early and then deciding later on, eh, maybe there was a coaching change, maybe I just don't feel it, Um, I want out, I want to open it back up. And it's hard to be critical of the player when the coach is being transactional, right? At at 
at the vast majority of schools. I'm not going to throw it at, at right. every single coach. There are plenty of great people. And honestly, even the schools that are a little transactional, they may be great people. It's just the world they live in. Yeah. Uh, they need to win or they're going to get fired. And so they have to know, they have to believe that you're the guy that's going to help their team win. And it almost doesn't matter whether they committed you when you were a freshman or a sophomore or a junior. Um, if by the time it gets close, they think there's someone better to help them win, you're probably in trouble. And even if they get you on campus, you might be in trouble after a year. Um, rosters right. are big. And again, I'm not making a moral judgment about it. I just think we need to we need to acknowledge the world that everybody lives in. I'm not mad at anyone for it. Um, but yeah, this is where this that. is where we're going. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that on our other podcast. We talked about it on our just a previous podcast, the verbal commitment, and and how you know it, you really have to look at it is that you know we're just dating. You know, and we're not we're not we're not which is sad right like it's it's kind of sad that that's the case but um but i i think it's real at certain levels and i i think some of the college baseball community understands that and some are very very unhappy about it and eventually those two need to reconcile and and understand that you know kids just need to they're living in the world that they're living in and you know we can say it was better 15 years ago but it doesn't matter it's not going back. Um, so how do we help them process how the world actually is? And, you know, if we're dealing with freshmen or sophomores, there's some things we can't predict, right? Like we can't predict what the conferences are going to look like in three years. Right. Right. And and that's part of our point is that, you know, when we were talking on other podcasts is that you got to be kind of nimble and you have to be flexible Mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, be able to go with the change of flow because like you said you know uh, a coach may get fired they may have their needs might change Uh, you as an athlete may change in that development you know from your sophomore year where you verbally committed to the senior year and and so you've got to um, be able to to move quickly and think quickly and have plans b and c sometimes absolutely and, and I think this is where it hurts these kids that have been in this COVID environment. They're having trouble, kind of some of them are having trouble being nimble and being flexible because they've been in front of this computer screen and their ability to communicate verbally to adults, a college coach when they have to, or i.e. somebody that they need to, they're having difficulty doing that. I, I know yeah. athletes are very unsure about how they communicate and that could just be the state of where we live this day because of the texting and the phones and everything like that the tiktoks and all the other apps there are um and i think as mentors and as coaches we need to continue to foster that ability to communicate verbally with a phone call or out in the field how are you doing what's going on in your life talk to me a little bit because that's where I get to know the players is hey, what's going on in your life? What's new? What's your what are, what's your family doing? Would you do would you do a couple weeks ago? Did you check this out? You know, I think yeah. us as coaches and mentors need to, you know, interact with our athletes, student athletes better to help them yeah. grow, you know, uh for PJ, later. I, I wanna say about ten years ago we had a conversation 
it was probably a throwaway conversation for you, but I've always remembered this part of it. We were talking about Dusty Baker, who you played for in the big oh, leagues. Absolutely. And and I asked you, I asked you, what is it about Dusty that makes you feel the way you feel? Like that that, you know, it's so positive. And you thought about it for a minute and you said, he cared about your family. Yeah. And it, it like, whoa, okay, like good coaching is good coaching, right? Like there are tons of people who can do a good job on the mechanical side, but personal connection matters. Players aren't machines. They have the same human emotions that every other human being has. Just because they're talented doesn't mean that they don't have to self-actualize, that they don't have to figure out who they are, that they don't have to mature and have the right mentors and the right people around them. And to me, especially in an age where there is less unstructured free play time, right? There's no pickup games. There's no time to just go mess around. So they're doing this in a structured context, you know, whether it's training with Aaron or playing with us or EJ. Um, and But they still need the same things. They need freedom to experiment. They need freedom to mess up. Um, they need and to learn from that like the yes. the mistake yes. the mistake isn't about like oh it's okay to make that mistake sweetie no it's not okay at all right <laughs> it, it the mistakes about like yeah go try to make that play so that you can figure out whether you can make that play right yes. like, <laughs> you know, like, yes. like uh yes. ej we coached with joey gomes joey gomes used to say hey go ahead and swing at the slider in the dirt and you'll swing at it about 400 times until you figure out like I can't hit that freaking pitch, right? Like, and then you'll and then you'll stop swinging at it. You go, yes. this process works, right? right. Like, yeah. just, just chill out and go through it. <laughs> I love it. It's true, though. No, I, I agree. And again, you know, me, I'm on the physical side, so I'm always talking about you got to let the athletes explore their bodies. And and because things are so regimented right now, and because we got kids being taught our sports at earlier ages they have a limited skill set because it's only fitting in between what's been taught and they've never had the chance to explore their bodies let use their imagination all the things that we did through some of the games of play you know three flies up wiffle ball you know pickle all of those things i think made us better athletes and again yeah it's a different world but that's missing for them and yeah listen on the physical side i i have to kind of try and right do those things or you know kind of infuse that into the training of kids that are 15 16 years old i think we have to infuse it into our coaching and and i think like on the club side and and ej's in it too and, and for me i've you know i started a club team many years ago but i got away from that side of it um and have been running tournaments and coaching high school and college and all that for a lot of years like we have to find places in these tournaments that are considered like high-end tournaments, right? Oh, we're, we're playing this team and they're nationally ranked and we're nationally ranked and whatever, whatever. Like, but there has to be a session where like, um, for one of our middle infielders this summer, like we just did a kind of throwaway thing. We were goofing around to practice in the beginning of the summer and working on backhand flips, right? With a glove flip. And that became his go-to on a particular play. And he said, I'd never done it before. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, just be an athlete, make this play. Right. And, and instead of like, here's the technique for the backhand glove flip, like, no, like that's not the way you learn this thing, man. You learn this thing by doing it, like get the damn ball to second base. Yeah. Right. And, and there's other times where the quality of instruction and, and some of the technical things in the game are so impactful 
and and we can help provide that. But sometimes we just got to create an environment where they can figure it out. Yeah. Right. And and how do you do that as a coach? Because the parent group isn't going to think that's valuable. They're going to think that what's valuable is you know the skill that you taught him. And the magic isn't the skill. They could learn the skill from the damn internet, yeah. right? Like the magic is how you teach it and how you present it in the environment that you present, and whether they can master it, yeah. right? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you know or I know or EJ knows. It matters what they get from it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you learn that as you get older as a coach, right? <laughs> like, you know. Um, yeah, Aaron, you gonna say something? Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, um, are you going to stay on that subject? Because I got something that's kind of off tangent a little bit from what you said earlier. So no, ahead. no, that's that's good. Um, I was just going to say I was just talking to a young coach yesterday, and he's trying to get in the sports performance business. And he's asking me, well, hey, you know, where do I go to get the education? What do I do? And, and I said, look, there, there's, you know, there's tons of information. And, and you can go online, you can go to courses, you can get certificates. But I said, it doesn't do you any good unless you can communicate what you know. Mm. And I said, that's the thing that you need to focus on first. Is I, I think that's I think incredible that's advice. One thing, yeah, and that's the one thing I think we realize as being older coaches, being long in the tooth now and gray in the beard, that yeah, it's, it's not about this mass amount of information and knowledge that you have to, you'll get that over time. That comes with seeing, uh, you know, a hundred. Listen, I'm I'm living proof of that, right? Like, I I did not play at a high level. I I played in high school and and went to college academically. Um, did wasn't recruited, didn't play. Um, you know, started playing some men's ball, but like, what does that count for? And I started kind of my coaching journey with, with you know, no teammates to to you know to draw on or, or former coaches to draw on as mentors. Um, I just had a little bit of a talent for connecting with kids and, and honestly, all the things that I'd been taught as a young player turned out to be really wrong. Um, the education is out there for you. Like you can learn the skills, you can learn how to apply it, the ability to communicate it, the willingness to experiment, the willingness to, you know, to adjust off of a course. That's a separator skill for young coaches. It, yes. If you're just, if you're just doing the thing from the book, that ain't going to work. Right. right. But if you can use that information from a book or a clinic or an education or your life experience and apply that and go, well, you know, I think that wasn't as good. I got to do this instead. Like you have to be able to self-evaluate and and adjust course as a coach and and be honest about what worked and what didn't work and, and try to fill the gaps. Um, you know, I was lucky in the coaching journey that I've had a lot of great mentors that have been very generous with their time and their knowledge with me. Um, but at the end of the day, it's on you to be a good coach, right? And it's on you. You're the one that can honestly know, did what I do work or didn't it work? The rest of the world, they don't know. They don't know what goes on in your practice. They don't know what goes on in your dugout. They think they do, but they don't, right? But you and the players know. Um, and that's the truth. And that's the, that's the place that you have to live is, was I really most effective for this guy? Could I have been more effective? Right? Is there something I could have taught him? Is there a way I could have connected that I can be better? And and if you're really good at it, you're never going to be satisfied. Right. Right. Like, right. Um, you use the other word that I that I always like to tell these young coaches is you. The key is to be effective. That's it. And, it, and that's going to look different with every athlete, 
and with every coach. But the goal is just to be effective. So, and be genuine, right? Like, I, I look at it. Uh, EJ and I have talked about this before. Like, I look at coaching as an art form yeah. more than a science. That yeah, science informs absolutely. it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. Um, but there's a lot of art to it, and it's a weird type of art because you're not the one performing. Yeah. Right. Like you're you're helping someone else perform and ultimately you're kind of judged by whether they performed or not. Right. right? Which there's a million factors that go into that. I'm, fair or unfair. That's just the nature of the beast. Right. Like you're as you're as good as your one loss record. Right. Um, and you're as good as did it actually work? And have we have we helped more players than we've hurt along the way? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um but, uh, you know, and knowing a lot of artists as, as I do in my life, like there's no artist that thinks they're great, yeah. right? They think their work sucks. They, they've never quite realized perfection. And that's how I feel as a coach. Like yeah. I've yet to have a perfect season coaching. I've yet to be a perfect coach. Um, I, I look at it just like players do. Like I'm better today than I was yesterday and I need to be better tomorrow than I am today. And I, I know that you, I know you guys pretty well, and, and I know that you're cut from the same cloth as far as always being hungry to be the best you can be and to, to get a little bit better. And um, so that would be like, we're talking about young coaches. If you're a young coach, like just like you were as a player, just get better. You yeah. don't have to become Joe Torre tomorrow. Yeah. Just be better than you were today right. and pick up a little bit here, a little bit there. And you look back when you got some gray hair down the road and you're like, damn, I've done some pretty cool things. <laughs> No, exactly right. It's 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 mastering what you're trying to do. It goes back to yep. martial arts. You know, you never can be perfect at anything. It's one of my one of my my idols and mentors, Bruce Lee. He's always trying to master this. And as a coach, as coaches, I always think of trying to master. I don't know everything. I, I'm always trying to right. seek knowledge and get that knowledge to, to pass on to my students so they can become better. So uh, what a good point right there, Adam. I love that. He said something earlier that kind of just has been resonating in my head. You said that players are arriving earlier. Yep. Yeah. So can you tell the public what that means a little bit, arriving earlier? Because sure. um, this, I think it's going to help a lot of people, Adam, by what, what that means a little bit. So so I think that, you know, and some of this is I, I'm my company, NCTV, is aligned with Perfect Game. And, uh, you know, Perfect Game does player rankings. Right. Um, social media has made those more prevalent and people knowing about them. I, I think some of and look, players, there were always players that were famous. Like we can right. go back in 2000 and Baseball America did the baseball for the ages and you know rank the 10 best players at 12u or 13u so there some of that has always existed but now it's just much more public much more constant so now you're if you're a 14 year old eighth grader who throws really hard and has some talent you have been noticed by national scouting organizations you probably have college interest and maybe college offers and it feels like you've arrived, right? It feels like you're already in the big leagues. And and so some of it, the problem is like, if we give everything to everybody when they're 14, what's left? What's exciting? Like there needs to be a sense of adventure to this, right? Boys need adventure. 14 year old, 14 year old boys, I've yet to meet a 14 year old who is better than they were when they got older, right? Like they're all in development. Yeah. Um, and so I think the feeling that you've arrived and that you're on this national stage and that you have something to defend and protect um, is in general terms 
more negative than it is positive. But again, it's also the world that we live in. It ain't going away. Um, oh. Colleges are not going to stop recruiting the most talented eighth graders in the country. In fact, they're probably going to go younger and younger. Right. And you, you, we can roll our eyes and go, oh, what are they going to do? Recruit sixth graders? Like, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. At some point <laughs> they, they are. are. Yeah. Like, they are. Um, you know, I got, I got laughed at probably six years. You know, Adam, I would offer 20 kids in our eighth grade league Adam, right now. Adam, and, uh, rewind about 30 seconds. You froze up. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You froze up um, right before. You're right fine now. Okay. Yeah, you're good now. Sorry. But um, you said a few years ago. Um, um, you said three years yeah. ago about the league and the eighth graders. Yeah, I got I got laughed at uh, by a college coach buddy because uh, I told him he should offer 20 kids that were in eighth grade. I'm like, just be willing to drop them later. Right? Like, everybody else does it. Like, if you really right. want good players, like, here's 20 guys that are probably, probably 15 of these guys are going to end up being really, really good. Um, that isn't hard to tell. Um so yeah, it's probably going to go younger and younger. The trend is probably going to continue and we just have to help people adapt. Like the rankings don't matter. They're not permanent. Um, EJ, we, we were both around Nick York when he was younger. Absolutely. Um, Nick, Nick never went to a PG event or a PBR. I, I think you actually did go to Blaine's events, but um, you know, like wasn't ranked, like got put on the rankings boards late. And he went in the first round. He's yeah. probably going to be in the big leagues. Like he's going to be okay. He's gonna um, be fine. <laughs> you know, and and listen, there's guys that were that arrived early and were highly ranked and made it, and there's guys that nobody knew about that made it, and there's guys that were highly ranked and didn't, and there's guys that nobody knew about and didn't. It just doesn't correlate to success, right? Like being good correlates to success. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah. you're good early or good late, you have to be good late. Mm -hmm. If you're not good late, none late. of the rest of it matters. Right. <laughs> I you know, you said this earlier about, yeah, be a really good baseball player. Hello, <laughs> everyone. You know, you have to be a really good baseball player. And that gets lost in translation This in this day and age, in my opinion, is that you need to be a really good baseball player. And what does that encompass? You know, it encompasses right. a lot of things. It doesn't matter putting a video out there and say, I hit this ball this far. No, how'd you handle failure? What did you do when yeah. when you, you you hit that home run? How'd you run around the field? Did you act professional? There's so many layers in that, and and that's what we talk and, about being. And a frankly, good can we can we back off them a little bit because kids have to experiment with behavior too, right? So like it, we don't have to chew a 14 year old out on social media every time they don't act like a professional. They're not a professional, right? We can we can talk about that privately, right? And not have to make that a national freaking crisis every time a you know a 14 year old you know gator claps at someone after a double right well you know willie mays wouldn't have done that well that's true <laughs> you know like you're you're right but you know what like ej like we both coached chris flexen when he was younger right remember flex at 15 and 16 with the red <laughs> the red contact lenses and the war paint and the, war and paint. the staring guys down yeah. and telling guys what pitch they were coming well, guess what? He doesn't do that shit in the big leagues, right? <laughs> he's he's figured it out. Like, it didn't hurt him. Like everybody, just take a breath. Yeah. Like I know you're old school. That's awesome. I love old school guys. I love new school guys. But like, they don't have to be professionals at 15, man. Like they're not. They can't. Sorry, that that was a little rant, but. Uh, 
that's good. I <laughs> love it, man. Aaron, this is this is a good one today, buddy. I love this. Love the love love hey, all. Yeah, you know, something for for the families that are watching. EJ, the first NTIS team we coached in 2008. 14U kids, 14U national team. We did it down in Compton. There were three kids that made the US national team off of our team. None of the three of them played college baseball. Exactly. Or, prof- or professional baseball. There were two kids at the back end of that roster and counting who have been in the big leagues. Like, it's the beginning, not the end. And uh, a line I've used before, like, no one cares who was winning in the second inning. Right? Like, it's okay. Like, wherever you're at in the journey, that's fine. Be honest about it and get better. Right. And the, all the rest is a bunch of white noise and a bunch of BS. And you can get sucked into it if you really want to. That's fine. It's enjoyable. It markets. But at the end of the day, you better be good or it ain't going to happen. <laughs> hey, Aaron. Well said today, my man. Well said. Love it. Love it. Adam, I tell you. Um, Aaron, you got anything else for, for Adam today? Uh, just, yeah, I have one question because this is going to kind of, we actually got another podcast slated um, mm-hmm. about style of play of baseball and how it might uh, differ regionally you know because okay. a lot of kids they do play travel baseball and but they don't always sometimes they'll try, try, go to place but play another California team you know yep. and, right. and what I'm basically getting at is they may they may not get the the exposure to all the different styles of baseball and, and that could be from how the game is played to the stature of the athletes. And I had a kid who spent a, a summer in Texas. And, you know, they're talking. We're going to talk about how that style of play of baseball and that makeup of baseball player is different. And But it was important for him to see. It was a really good learning experience. Right. And I kind of wanted to, to get your thoughts on that. You know, again, regionally, hey, what are the difference in styles? What, you know, speak upon that. Uh, I I don't know that I would say that I think there's dramatic difference in styles of play at the travel ball level. Obviously, at the college level, there is, um, where the West Coast still has more of a small ball, you know, approach in general terms than, say, the SEC, which is power arms, power bats. Um, but I do think there's a lot of differences within teams. Um, the biggest difference regionally is just um, the prevalence of, uh, you know, perfect game is it, all the events are in the Southeast, right? And right. there's a lot of the teams are from the Southeast and they're phenomenally talented teams. Um, those guys play a ton of baseball. It's a little more showcase style, you know, two inning outings and things like that. Not team, not every single team, but there's a little kind of, uh, you know, me, me, me style of ball. And I don't mean that to be negative toward the kids that are playing. I just mean like it, it's super transactional. They might play on five different teams. Again, there's some teams that buck that trend, but um, you see that. You see a lot more coming and going than than you might out in, in the West Coast where I think by and large people play for their team. They might guest play for another team, but it's not quite as as fluid as, as, as maybe my perception at least is um, in the Southeast. But uh, you know, guys throw really hard, right? Like that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, I, I think the biggest regional difference to me is from Southern Cal and Northern Cal. And that's that the young the young side of travel ball in Southern Cal spins the ball so much that the pitchers are really comfortable throwing spin and the hitters are much more comfortable seeing spin and hitting spin. Right. In Northern Cal, it is more a fastball dominant game and it always has been. 
Um, and so guys get better at, at hitting that and struggle when they get, you know, at 14 and 15 and start seeing real spin. And it, it just, they catch up. But um, I, I think that style has been true since we started. Um, certainly been true since 2000 and remains true to this day, I think. Um, that, you know, the young side of travel ball in Texas and California and the, the teams trying to win, well, they win by spinning the ball, right? And so you see that immediately with all of the positive and negative impacts that it has where, you know, maybe there hasn't been as many quote-unquote high-end travel teams based out of Northern California. I mean, we've had La Mirinda. It's been a great program for a long time, but that's more kind of one team here and there. And I don't know that there was a consistent style that they had to play. They were just better than everybody else up here for a long time, right? Um, and so they rolled out the ball and beat the holy hell out of people with re- with really good players. And they've had some good coaches too. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to say their coaches can't coach. Um, just, you know, if you're beating someone 10 to nothing, you don't need to do a whole lot to be good right like, um where you know when we would go down to socal in 2002 like if, if you had an 11u team and you didn't know how to hit a curveball you were in trouble yes right like, absolutely um, where you could compete and hang in a tournament up here to some extent i'm a little less connected with what that looks like in 11u and 12u than i was way back then um but my perception is that it's still the same because i see that when they get to the high school level um and it still appears to be true it is true, by the way. <laughs> it is true. You you still see that, Adam. It hasn't changed. Yeah. It hasn't changed. But I mean, I, I maybe I'm not the the, the best answer, advocate or answer for like how it's different in Texas or how it's different in the Southeast. I just think in Texas and SoCal they start intense travel ball so much younger, right? Um, yeah. And and yeah. that that leads to good and bad things. It leads to a higher skill base, but it also leads to a higher burnout level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, so tricky balance, right? Like there's there's no one right answer for everyone. And and it's tough on parents because they've got to figure out like what's the right balance for my kid. Right. And I, I don't know that. It depends on your kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's navigating through this uh <laughs> through this world now and trying to figure out, you know, what's best for your kid. And I always say this to parents, you know, you know what's best for your kids. I I might be here to help you, assist you, but you're you're with your kid 24 7 i'm not i'm with them two to three hours sometimes four hours at a time but uh i give you some some experiences that i've seen and then you have to navigate through that with your with your child absolutely yeah Uh, yeah we can't we can't be here to tell people how to parent their child right right and and uh all we can do is say well you know this is what i think is right this is what i would program out but like does it feel right to you It, it comes back to what we talked about before like the communication piece is essential. And and I do think that, you know, from the coaching side as a high school coach, shoot, I didn't interact with parents at all. As a junior college coach, you didn't interact you don't interact with parents at all. It's just you and the player. Um, as a club coach, we better interact with parents mm-hmm. or we're in trouble. And like to some extent, I would prefer to just be a high school coach and coach the kid and and be their guy. Right. But everybody's got everyone in their support circle needs to be pulling the rope in the same direction or it's destructive for the player right and and so how can how can people in our shoes work together with the other people that are around them and working with that and ego gets in the way and business interest gets in the way and i i look i'm in the middle of that and i'm not trying to say i'm a saint with it 
but like in an ideal world we would all kind of get on the same page and try to work together for the benefit of the player Absolutely. right and and sometimes you have to draw lines and that's how it is but um high school coach club coach you know tr- where they train like I, I i would love to be able to pick up the phone and be like hey here's what we're seeing on the field what do you see in the lab right, right? And, and and for you to go hey here's what i'm seeing in the lab how's this playing when he goes to hit right, right. that's healthy and and because ultimately like we are all here to serve the player yes right and mm-hmm. and and sometimes i think we all get in our tunnel and we're all really busy too and and that process doesn't happen in the way that it probably should um but when it does happen it's a beautiful thing and and it leads to generally pretty good results for the player because they feel supported and they feel like everybody that i trust is on the same page you know <laughs> um how can that not be a good thing right like, right and no. by the way if we do disagree we disagree respectfully and privately yeah right and be like hey well what about this like this is what i'm seeing and that process is healthy where we can challenge each other and go like Okay, that's great that that's what you're seeing in the lab, but this kid's 0 for 20 with 19 punch outs. Like, can we maybe get to a shorter swing plane? You know? Right. Right. Exactly. Cuz he ain't going to stay on this team if he keeps going 0 for 20 with 19 punch outs, right? Like like that's great that his exit velocity was 100 and I'm all for that, but he's got to touch the baseball, you know? <laughs> You no. Know, hey, that's great that he runs a 6260, but he's got to get to first base or that doesn't help us. <laughs> or him. So all of, all of those physical skills that that we all want to develop and I do too right. have to sync up with the game skills. That's right. Um or it doesn't. Work. Right. It does. Well, Adam, I tell you, um it's been a pleasure talking to you today. awesome just to talk to you guys i've i've like i said known you guys forever love you guys two of the best at doing it uh for the people that get to play for EJ's program or get to play with Aaron like you're in really good hands um these are two of the best mentors i i've known these guys for a long time i've seen big leaguers come through their ranks i've seen you know guys that were average players and went on to have great high school careers and uh, they're they're two of the best at maximizing a player's talent and they're two guys that care about players and care about their long-term well-being so um for those of you on the podcast which is probably their circle please know you're in great hands thank you for that adam thank you thank you for the for the for the for yeah, the no problem. really appreciate that adam and you know how much i respect you and and, and really uh really admire what you've done in 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 the industry and growing the game in Northern California it's huge so we appreciate you out there too Adam so just so you uh, know thank you guys very much i appreciate it thanks so much for having me on it was a pleasure well cool fans out there sure <laughs> definitely well thanks for uh tuning in today on our podcast this is Eric Johnson the brand and coach Aaron Thigpen the source we'll see you <laughs>